Are we live? We're live. All right. Welcome back to Every Week is Chaos. What are we on? Episode 20? Is that would be correct. 20? For 20, we've got a special guest with us. Uh, as always, I'm Lorenzo, and I've got David, who's great. We've got guys here, and then we've got Paz. I like uh, how I waved when... That's what people call me. Paz, <laughs> Paz. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere's uh, uh, from... refer to you in some way. That Then it'll work. From the Scarlet Thread Society and also a just essential part of the Timeline Earth experience. He's one of our newsmen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. For those of you who listen to the news, I am one of their affiliate reporters or whatever title people would hang on us. I'll make sure the news happens. <laughs> <laughs> Not this again. It hasn't even been five minutes. Every Wednesday morning, I just do a scout out of the Walmarts. <laughs> Oh, but we, uh, I, I had the idea of bringing you on pause because we're, I like me and David are both kind of nerds when it comes to the D and D and tabletop stuff. We also play magic, the gathering, which I don't know if you do. Um, I did back in the day. It didn't steal my attention, but you know, I, I dabbled. I've had decks at different points. Um, if I can make you guys assume right off the bat that i am an edge lord i'm that guy that ran a black white deck for a while <laughs> i run mm, okay i run stacks i run i run smoke i run like the the prison decks that david actually was like okay i don't want to play against you anymore i almost beat you with my 60 dollar like eggs deck basically i just drop a bunch of zero mana artifacts over and over oh. again to draw cards i'm gonna be honest that sounds insufferable <laughs> <laughs> they're both the worst yeah that against my deck which is like cool you uh every time you draw a card you have to discard four cards you have to discard cards at random <laughs> all your creatures are dead like it was a real interesting interesting uh experience but... but i got pretty close considering you've spent dumped how much money into that stupid deck okay when i listen okay number one well, look here i am <laughs> going to cut you off before your co-host can answer as a warhammer nerd i would just I, uh... like to say it is perfectly acceptable to have a hellishly expensive hobby we're all grown men here. listen <laughs> I, I i dumped at least two grand into that game it's just that that deck specifically i spent like 60 yeah. bucks on to get i mean you think that's bad you should try being a musician i i'm looking at dropping a nice cool two to three grand on a bass guitar at some point uh and that's like on the low end when it comes to high-end guitars. You want to get an original 1959 Les Paul? Hope you're ready to spend $350,000 on it. So, <laughs> like... it's buy a house at that point. Lorenzo, you could embrace your ancestry and become a landlord. Oh, I would love to. I would like to be a homeowner as soon as I can, but the housing market's dying and everything's dying. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about fun things. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to start off with we were talking about the um, new D and D edition that's coming out, um, and I we were seeing if it was an open beta or not or officially released. And I know you don't really you go with like three point five when you're playing, right? I am an old head by millennial standards, but in the grand scheme of D&D, I might still be a uh, newbie. But yes, 3.5 was my preferred edition. 
because it's where I came in at. Um, it had the right amount of crunch for me. It still felt like D&D. That was kind of the first edition where it got away from its own war game roots and turned into a proper RPG, in my opinion. 3.5 was Dragonlance, right? Uh, Dragonlance was second and kind of ended in third. Okay. Third gotcha. edition is where the Forgotten Realms started to take over. Early on in third edition, they it wasn't an open context necessarily, but... Yeah, I've I've seen it's funny. But, uh, it was also where there was Eberron there in third edition. Mm, Eberron's yeah. so cool. I I want to run a campaign in Eberron at some point. Um because I I like the it's it's not it's not like it has the same kind of technological thing of steampunk without having the steampunk aspect. And I like yeah. how it's, it's like magic punk. <laughs> yeah, well, and that was that was D&D's first real shot, I feel, at um, high magic, as opposed to the low magic that had been so traditional. Yeah, and I, from what I remember, high magic versus low magic. Low magic is like, it doesn't really play as big of a part in society. And then high magic is like very regimented like magic's everywhere. Yeah, that's probably the best delineation. I've also heard of like, oh, then there's soft and hard magic. And where do you fall on that? I'm not sure what a person would mean by soft and hard magic. So uh, the best way I've heard it described is soft magic is like Lord of the Rings magic, where it's not really explained and things kind of happen. And hard magic is like spells in D&D. Or, you know, playing Warhammer and having, you know, your Rinza magic. Back when back when there was Warhammer Fantasy. Um, but um, So the thing about Warhammer Fantasy is that was always kind of inherently low magic too, actually. Uh, it was poorly understood. It was uncommon. It was viewed superstitiously, etc., etc. In, in tabletop-wise, from what I've heard, because I, I only got into Warhammer from playing War, uh, Total War Warhammer. Um, Which were banging games, by the way. Oh, and absolutely. You know what? Thank you for your service to all the other nerds out there who played the Total War Warhammer games, because that's the only reason at all I got to have uh, Warhammer Fantasy back on the tabletop, just re-released under the name The Old World. I saw that. And I am just so insanely jazzed, because... Warhammer Fantasy died before I had the money to get into the game. <laughs> yep. So now I'm getting my second chance at it, thanks to the video game nerds who kept it, it alive. <laughs> it's, it's been rough for us. I mean, because Warhammer 2 was just... Like, Warhammer 1 kind of sucked. Warhammer 2 was, like, 10 out of 10. Warhammer 3 is still, like... It's got the good parts of Warhammer 2, but it is a bloated, buggy mess right now, and they've been well, raising the prices. the fucking studio... <laughs> Pardon my cussing. I try not to do that. Don't worry but, about it. <laughs> Lorenzo well, said way worse. Um, what I was saying is part of the reason Warhammer 3 has ended up being a bad title is because the dev team, uh, the studio that's doing it, basically had a half-ass implosion right in the middle of the release cycle. Mm -hmm. And and then on top of all that, um, the CA dumped like a couple million dollars into hyenas 
and then that turned out to be a dud. Yeah, was, that game blew up in its first week. The bad yeah. kind of blow up. <laughs> and, and that really sucked resources out of their other projects. And, and so Warhammer yeah. 3 might be salvageable, but it there were a lot of factors from the business side that kind of shanked it still early on in its development. I think it'll be fine given about two to four years. Um because like early on Warhammer 2 wasn't great. It only I think it really came into its own like 2019, 2020, and it came out in like 2017. Well, once um, it finally got all the DLC unique once Skaven once Skaven had actually what Skaven are fun to use for. Uh because opening like that when when released skaven didn't have rattling they had no weapon teams no they did they had like bombardiers but they had no rattling guns no gisales none of the warp fire throwers oh yeah it was sorry this is probably going all over your head david you should get into war i've been trying to get you into warhammer fantasy because the lore of warhammer fantasy is what keeps me invested in it you say you act like you've been actively propagandizing me to do it. I've never heard you talk about Warhammer once before today. I feel like I've tried you, once. You've never tried to convince me. All right. Well, you want to get into a uh, lore universe that's full of a bunch of shit that is hard to understand and is really impenetrable. You're gonna American love... politics. <laughs> if you, if okay. you, it's not impenetrable at all. But That's what true. Has saved Warhammer as an IP from, say, the fate of D and D is that there is real lore and that it is so fucking impenetrable. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not actually impenetrable, but it takes a real investment to know what's going on in it, especially with important. fantasy. Like 40k, you can kind of like half-ass your way into the lore but like when you start like when i started i started watching all sorts of stuff and like you start getting into the you know all of the crazy lore with the reconned um what was that campaign that had it was their first attempt at kind of a semi-end times storm You're of chaos about the storm of chaos yes yes they did this massive worldwide tournament system where players would send in their results and they wanted to either soft or hard reboot their entire setting, hoping that the team chaos players would win. And then they were just getting routinely roundhouse kicked at every tournament. So the player base successfully derailed their entire initiative. <laughs> It, um, so, so explain to me what's the what's the whole bit like what's the angle because obviously D, D is you know you tell a story players interact in a story right you roll dice to determine outcomes what's like the bit is it like a, is it like a strategy like war game thing or like what is, is warhammer a war game yeah okay you know those really you know those really sweaty guys at the game at the game store yeah, like the I've extra really sweaty ones. The <laughs> ones that might be actual boomers. <laughs> the ones that have, they're bent over a table and their pants are half fallen down so you get the plumber's crack. I'm just talking about what I've seen in my own game store. There's been some very like well-to-do types that I've seen, but sometimes you get the real gritty. <laughs> they're gritty guys armed with a tape measure and a heavy understanding of mathematics well you know what though and that's the thing those are the real war gamers and that goes back to what keeps warhammer warhammer though mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying 
Like it's those dudes who are just not putting up with anything. Well, yeah. Imagine like you couldn't get it. I wonder if I haven't seen enough of the old world new or the new old world stuff to do, but you couldn't get away with running dark elves, how they are in fantasy nowadays. Like if it wasn't so impenetrable, you know, the fact that literally everyone's half naked, sex starved murder freaks, like, yeah, dark elves are really, they're not as, they're, they're not even as bad in 40 K. They literally get life force off of torturing and killing you. Yes. And in Good. fantasy, it's not quite the same. They're just that way culturally. <laughs> it's just the culture. <laughs> like, one of the best Warhammer fantasy series was about a dark elf noble by the name of Malice Dark. Yes. And his whole thing was, pardon my French, but he's literally screwing his sister. <laughs> he's screwing all these other chicks. He is flaying other noblemen alive. And he's possessed by a demon. And he's the good guy. You know, good in quotations, but... Yeah, Malice is... I mean, I've I've really wanted to read... um, It's hard to find the old fantasy books, but I think there there were ones... I mean, my favorite lore is, like, the old, old lore. Like, the, you know, war... um, when the polar gates collapsed and there was the first invasion of chaos with uh, like the, the, the first judgment of Itzo or whatever, like that stuff is so cool. And I, I, I wonder if there's that level of lore stuff in a lot of the D and D realms. Cause I've actually never done a campaign in the forgotten realms or anything like that. I've always brewed my own. Yeah. There's definitely a learning curve to that. I mean, I, I never really delved fully into the Forgotten Realms lore and everything, but like my very first D&D book was the, because I started in fifth edition because, you know, we're stupid young. Um, I started with the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and already there was just so much crap in there. And then if you pick up like, say, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, right? Like then you get even more lore in there and that's not even scratching the surface plus there have been whole books written about this stuff it's i i know that drizzit drizzed drizzit do undrun right i think that's how you pronounce it drizzed yeah. and he's he's a he he's like the good drow and it's funny because i never let any of my players play drow you know what you shouldn't the entire character design for that character is that he is the one good one. And then every nerd read those books because they were good, fell in love with them. And now they all want to be the one exception. Well, when you've got a hundred thousand exceptions, you're not an exception anymore. And it's derailed the entire concept of dark elves and D. Yeah. I, I like, um, so it's, it's funny because I've, I've uh, like with my own homebrews, I've never really incorporated the dark elves. Um, and oftentimes I take the kind of good and evil stuff and kind of change it a little bit in terms of just having different races that are kind of like, like orcs are meant to be naturally evil mm-hmm. in mine, because I'm just a nerd about world building and culture building. They end up being some sort of hybrid between nomadic and middle Eastern cultures from central Asia. It just, it ends up being that way. Every time I make orcs, <laughs> um the Turkish, damn it. Yeah, they end up <laughs> they end up being Ottoman Turks and are like, you know, don't ask the dwarves what happened with the Armenians. 
Oh, also, actually, I will say Hell Dwarves almost end up. I one of my cooler things is I turned Hell Dwarves Middle Eastern, um, in one of my things because I looked at it and I was like, okay, Mountain Dwarves obviously in the mountains. They're you know not gonna if they're in the mountains they're gonna be pale. This is one of the problems I had with Rings of Power is when they had black dwarves. I was like, you know, outside of the the diversity whatever stuff, I was like, there's a race that lives underground. How do they? How are they developing that kind of melanin? But Balrog, man, Balrog <laughs> is, is Balrog the rever, uh, reverse Yakub? And <laughs> but pause. What are your like when you when you go about kind of world building and all that stuff, or as a DM, do you kind of have some set rules of this will like certain set parameters that you kind of fall back to? Uh, so I am, this is the very old school approach to D&D and is not something you see a lot anymore, but at the outset of running any game, whether it's D&D, whether it's Dark Heresy, whether it's Fate, whatever RPG I'm running for a group, I give them the bare bones of the starting location and then on my side of the metaphorical DM screen, I have tables and tables and tables of random events I've set up, but I do nothing to plan the world around me. Really? If they want to go somewhere, I roll on the random table to see what the place will be like. If they want to look for a specific type of person, like a merchant, I roll on a random table to see if they're there. I set up for myself custom-made random tables at the outside of any game system campaign, and that is how my world is built. Through my players' interactions with what I give them and the random things that I literally roll dice to create for them. And do you do this within the context of, like, running a campaign in the Forgotten Realms or running a campaign in Eberron? Uh, yes. If I am using a pre-baked setting like that, which is pretty uncommon for me um, these days, I used to, but a lot of times I will just plop them down in a very small area where I don't have to define the world yet and just say, this is where you are, travel from here. That's so it's a lot of world building as you go kind of thing? That's right. Okay. Let's... If they start messing with something with greater political or cultural implications in the world, then I will create just enough that I have to, to let them drive the rest of it. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I, we have totally different philosophies because I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so I've actually only been an actual like player character in once, once I've always been the DM because the only one autistic enough to do the world building. Um, <laughs> And you know what? That was something I had to overcome for myself too, because I used to do that. And then I found it's just too hard to make players inter engage with what you create without, I'm going to use the word that all the shit libs use to ruin D&D, but agency. You know, you take away their own imagination if you overplan things. I was dealing with a lot of players that didn't have a lot of imagination, which kind of worked out. And it was a, it, like most of the people that I was playing with had never played D&D before. And it was kind of we were all kind of learning at the same time. And if I 
and sometimes what I would do is I'd start seeing this kind of thing of I love these characters together. I have this idea of what a story could look like. And knowing my my players, I know what they all want. So right. I I want to start getting them. I'm kind of a lenient DM, especially when it comes to combat. It, outside of combat, I'm really harsh especially when it comes to like the social roles you have to do. But when it comes to combat, I get so irritated and bored half the time that I just am like, you know what? You succeed that role. I don't want to, it's been 20 minutes. Part of the other thing is too, uh, in previous editions, when D and D was meant to be a war game, it was engaging because you had entire war bands and forces fighting each other. But as it's morphed into a, role-playing game and especially in the last handful of editions combat isn't satisfying anymore because it's now just a bunch of guys taking a single turn you don't get to put yourself in the place of a general and pretend you're guiding a whole army you don't have strategic maneuvers to think about you just wait till your turn until you get to cast fireball yep and that's not fulfilling and and as a dm it's even worse because I'm sitting there and they all have their own turns and I'm doing the turns of 12 different people, you know, especially when I'm running, you know, like, oh, they meet an entire war band of people, right. you know, it's, it's just a, a bunch of, and I would oftentimes I would just pre-roll the results sometimes like while they were all taking their turns. And, and that's actually not a bad idea for any sort of game master to do though. It's really not because it helps keep the flow that much stronger. And I'm sure you could you could build a program of sorts where you could be like input 12 orc warriors, you know, randomize D20 plus these modifiers, click all at the same time and they all have new things. I wonder if any of the more tech savvy people that I know will be able to figure that out. Um, but I, I think that What's an addition that actually has good combat? Well, it depends on what you want to get out of the combat too, though, right? Well, I like that strategy concept. <laughs> I I would say that it, at this point, if you want that experience out of it, you should just get away from D&D and play a war game. Uh, it doesn't even have to be Warhammer, just a war game, because... Those systems just are not going to be able to give that to a person anymore. Yeah, it's it's tough. I've I've thought about one. I've wanted to like get into playing Warhammer, but every time I just look at it, I'm like, I cannot afford this. There are <laughs> cheaper ones out there that are modeled around having a team of just a handful. Isn't there Instead like kill of team? Like tens and dozens of models, you can get by with like five to ten stuff like Oathmark or the silver bayonet or even warhammer's other property kill team yeah i've seen kill team and it seems cool i also it's just like it's a thing that needs a lot of time and money or a lot of time time is the biggest thing like because there's other things where you know i'm just i'm just constantly working like it's either working or writing music (laughs) in the amount of time because i'd love to sit down i i used to like I find that I, I, I used to be much more of an artist than I am now. And I love like sitting down and drawing or painting stuff. And I'd love to actually do it with minis. I ended up actually getting some Warhammer brushes 
not for Warhammer, but I was doing uh, altars of magic cards. I would extend the border of the okay. art. Um, and I used to do, I did that for like a month or so. And then I kind of stopped. I was never very good at it, but I love, I, that's one thing with world building as well as a DM. I always draw my own maps. Um, and I think I sent David one that I did in a night. And I was like, that's all right. It's pretty all yeah, right. A loose outline. You could have um, properly scanned it, you know, with like, uh, yeah, I should have and then sent it to me. I should have scanned it, but it has like a massive shadow over, <laughs> over it. And so I have to, if I want to make use of that, I got to go and throw it into a photo editor and I got to trace over all the lines and then go and take that out and then throw it onto a white piece of paper. Yeah. You know, and you know, it's funny. I used to, so I took one of the maps I made for my own campaign and I took it and I scanned it and put it into my OneNote when I was using OneNote for school. And on my school computer, uh, every day during class, I would draw like certain conflicts that happened and I would like copy and paste the image and show like campaign movements over the thing very autistic like, from, like straight from the history textbook where it has like the arrows of different <laughs> yes i literally the amount of fake history i've made for nations is absurd i don't know pause have you done that as well with certain things that you've world who hasn't right <laughs> you just gotta hammer just... armies despite literally being for a war game and not an rpg have an extensive seven page lore booklet do you I have, have their force organization? I have their unit histories. I have. Yeah. Do you did you make your own Space Marine chapter or? No, I don't play the Marines. I play the Imperial Guard, the oh, regular yeah. dudes facing the horrors of space and the metaphysical beyond with nothing but their las rifles and faith in the Emperor. That's right. Um, I oh man, that's I remember when I first did like. My first uh, big lore, because I, I, even though I don't, I love 40k lore, and even though I haven't watched any of it recently, I, I used to when I was like mowing my lawn or my parents' lawn or doing projects, I put on a, a Luton video. Um, uh, because I think that he always has great production on his stuff. I don't know how you feel on him. I can give you a production at least. In terms of actual content, I don't really care for any of the big names people love, but that's because I don't care for any big name in anything, man. Yeah. <laughs> there but... is exactly two big podcasters that I like, and that's because I go way back with both of them. And it's it's bird. And I don't care for any other big name on the entire planet. <laughs> the only big names you like are your fellow news anchors. Well, and a couple others, but we're not here to talk about podcasts. <laughs> um, it It's interesting because I, I was going to say is that like I remember my first time learning about, I remember this, like vividly my first time uh, reading and kind of listening to a thing about Cadia for the first time being like, man, that's some cool lore. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to like them, but I have the same problem with the Cadians as a Warhammer faction that I do with just anything trendy. I'm not even a fucking hipster, but they just get so goddamn overblown because they're one of the poster boys that it instantly turns me off to it. I just like learning about I like the fall my of dudes Cadia. to be my dudes, you know? I've thought about that. I remember like looking into if I built an army, I don't know what I'd do. To be completely honest, because I, I I alternate between like 
I love Eldar stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's also because I love the elves in Warhammer Fantasy. Even though if I was going to build a Warhammer Fantasy army, I would probably either go Zinch Warriors of Chaos or um, some one Electric Count. So I, uh, I have a good enough job and I have just enough disposable income as a bachelor <laughs> to be doing the Warhammer thing. Hell yeah. With the re-release of Warhammer Fantasy... I got one of the starter boxes because nice. the armory I always wanted to play back in the day. And like I said, never got to too young, not enough money at the time was the Bretonians, right? Yep. And their entire deal is just Arthuriana Knights in the Warhammer setting. And I am so jazzed about it. I am going to put 40 cavalry units on the table and just give my opponents a taste of the charge of the light brigade every game, whether it works or not. I'm jazzed about it. So is the, is the point uh, that I'm getting here that with Warhammer, you b essentially build an army and then you play your opponents based on the army that you've built as long as I'm assuming as long as it fits within like a certain amount of rules or whatever, right? You got or, points. You get points. Okay. Yeah. Everything is... It's inherently asymmetrical because every faction is different. But what GW does when they release the stuff, they attach a points value. And mm -hmm. then in the core rule book for the game at all, they just give you lists. Hey, uh, if you want to play at a tournament level, or if you just want to play on an even playing field, they'll tell you each guy brings an army of this many points within this sort of rules allowance. But if you're just hanging out with your buddies, you can do whatever the hell you want as far as that goes. I, I remember with the asymmetricality, it's, I think this is, well, this is something that might be more exclusive to Total Warhammer, but I don't know if it ever translated to tabletop. What, but uh, Wood Elves and Dwarves was always the most lopsided matchup because all the elves have like uh, a lot of magical resistance, but very little physical from what I remember. And the dwarves don't care. <laughs> <laughs> barely any of their stuff has magical attack I mean, some of it does with like rune magic but like it's that's a different thing it's all different and uh those always were very unfun because um uh, warhammer had a multiplayer scene for a while or the total warhammer had a multiplayer scene for a while and still does it's still a big thing um much to the chagrin of my single player things because all of the units get uh stats like nerfs or buffs based on how they do in multiplayer and then it affects all the single player guys who have no care for something being broken or not um but what other armies would you do in warhammer fantasy well the problem is they're all so cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the other ones i've considered dabbling in are the warhammer fantasy dark elves just to have bad guys for my good guys. But at the same time, I love the look of some of those old school orc models. Uh, it's impossible not to love the empire of man. And then the elector counts. They There's call, yeah. As an inside joke, they call it plastic crack. Yep. <laughs> and it really is like, I could justify literally any of them to myself. This is this is what I do when I go on Reverb.com, which is like a used music. It's like the eBay just for, but for, but for music. 
And I go on there and I look at him like this 1975 Rickenbacker. Oh, I could be just like Getty Lee. It's only four thousand dollars. It's only four thousand. You know, if I didn't, that's just one kidney, Lorenzo. You don't drink, you'll be fine. <laughs> if I, if I, you know, I'm homeless for four months, then I could get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's funny you say it as well because I I've thought about if I did an empire electric count army i'd want to do known and just have every cannon and just like heavy artillery so my one problem with bretonia as a faction they get all these sick sick knights and no gunpowder absolutely none Mm -hmm. and it's in their lore that they even look down on the peasant archers they employ well so i would have no access to gun lines have and you they are just mm-hmm. so freaking cool like the steam tanks steam powered <laughs> tanks of the empire they're rad and also with that um have you ever looked into the lore about the great crusade into araby oh yeah it's terrific <laughs> and i like how that was technically a thousand years before like the ending of the old world like if we're talking yeah, about like carl franz yeah, like it's a thousand years before then, and Bretonian technologies did not change at all. I don't think there were, like, for the Empire, I don't even think there were steam tanks or much gunpowder yet. So, one thing that Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40,000 share in common is the fact that the primary nations or factions of humanity have severe technological stagnation. And so for both the Empire Man in Fantasy and the Imperium in 40K, oftentimes things were better and more advanced further back in the settings' histories. Well, that's especially the thing with the uh, with the elves um, in in fantasy. And also, I will say, I don't. This might be a hot take, but I'd rather live in the Empire of Man than the Imperium of Man. So the opening scrawl that made Warhammer 40k famous, what they put on the front of all of their books, uh, is it's the bloodiest and most brutal regime imaginable. (laughs) Yep. And that serves a very important purpose because it's true in the setting. The decision that every 40k fan must make is living is living in a hell of our own making explicitly a hell of our own making worth not living in hell itself yep it's a very and it's it's, it's stuff like that as well that helps in, get to the impenetrability of of 40k i saw a thing today i don't know if you saw it floating around pause but it was the lady that was talking about how all the space marines are bad guys because they're they're like genocidal baby killers and something like that um and i was even in the replies to that tweet if you look in the right place yeah i i i tweeted well one of the things i thought was kind of funny is i bet this person tweeted this entire thing out about eugenics against the disabled and baby killing and i bet she's (laughs) pro-choice after all that talking about baby killing you know but uh what without getting too into the weeds on setting lore if unless people want me to uh that's not even really a thing they're talking about how the imperium is genociding people with mutations 
but some of the most beloved characters in the settings are called ogrens <laughs> or squats. Yes, and they are literally mutations of humanity that are openly accepted for the value they can contribute to the Imperium. And yes, uh, the Imperium are bad guys. But at the same time, if you can serve the Imperium, they will take your labor from you. And that is part of the reason it's a hell of our own making. They're not genociding their own citizens. What they're doing is forcing their citizens into 20-hour factory shifts to make bullets for the uncountable billions of soldiers who are fighting literal demons. And on top of that, when it's talking about killing the disabled or like mutants and stuff, it's not talking about the kid with Down syndrome. They're talking about a guy with a third eye. They're talking about a yeah. guy that yeah. was born with four different tentacles on random parts of his body. It's not the kid with autism. Um, and then like, I, I mean, this is a whole thing of all these people try to, all these kind of like, gay losers for lack of a better term try to take over what these hobbies are. yeah that's what they are they try to take over these hobbies and in, and then they're like instead of enjoying it as is they have to make all these changes that make it gay and like full of losers it's it's and you know what let me tell you it's not the fucking zoomer reactionaries holding the lines against these guys it's those sweaty the guys <laughs> holding the line against them well yeah and so, it's... you know what thank your local 60 year old dude who's still hanging out in the comic shop he saved your hobby for you not you <laughs> well and also there's like things where you know your ordinary if you explain some to someone and this is something that i find i remember seeing a tweet years ago not years ago months ago feels like years um months ago that was like you know on twitter you have to entertain things that um would be considered utterly absurd in any common life and like the examples were like shoplifting is good you shouldn't go to hawaii we should abolish bedtimes <laughs> like <laughs> like you have to kind of treat these things as if they're serious things like most people don't care if you told someone about the setting of 40k and you said the main protectors of humanity are the well the the celebrated protectors of humanity the real protectors of humanity are the ordinary guardsmen but the space marines if you told something about space marines and you go these guys are filled with so many chemicals that they are eight foot tall super soldiers their first thought wouldn't be yeah i bet a lot of those are female like after you tell someone they're they're equipped with a second heart and enough testosterone to kill a normal person, they'll like, be like, "That's metal." <laughs> yeah, and scientifically, that's not a dude. That's not a lady. And technically, I don't really think you could make the argument that like space marines are fully functioning they, males. <laughs> they are literally called transhumans because they have ascended baseline humanity in every way that matters. They, you they, know, don't, they are uh, walking biological tanks more than they are people like you and I. They can and spit the venom. Point of them. Yeah, they can like it's not it's not an ordinary dude if your ordinary dude can spit venom and has a second set of eyelids. Don't they have a second set of eyelids? They have 13 unique organs that are not capable of occurring naturally. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember all of them. I know the second heart. The does the black carapace count as an organ? It does. It's a sort of 
it's literally like a bug's carapace, but inserted under their skin so they can interface through um, basically USB jacks with their power armor. It's basically what Nick Land wants, David. It's all <laughs> Nick Land. <laughs> um, <laughs> in in Nick Land's hyper-capitalist utopia, we will all have several USB-C jacks on our forearms. <laughs> um but I mean, that's the exact thing is you, you kind of look at these these ordinary things and people kind of take them as face value. So I think not only thank your boomers at the game store, thank the normies that think that the lore is cool and they don't want to change anything because it's cool. Yeah, it's it's literally heavy metal. It's not even a lot of people try a lot of the infiltrators try to say, oh, it's punk. It's counterculture. The hell it is. It is a war game based on heavy metal sci-fi art. Hell yeah. It, it it literally looks like, you know, those old school 80s metal album covers or like the old school, uh, like 80s fantasy book covers. Mm-hmm. They're like all oil painted. Like <laughs> that's Warhammer. And also, I think I remember Warhammer Fantasy actually had a, I remember hearing like they had a rule where you weren't allowed to do digital art when you were doing art for them. Like they wanted that old school look. Uh, that's been a thing kind of on and off. I think that's more lip service than anything, especially if you look at the old art compared to the newer art. It's in a totally, tonally different style now than it was. Mm -hmm. Like the guy to look at was John Blanche. He was one of the guys who did all the old school art and he was just tremendous he well yeah and the same actually same thing with like, some of the most iconic images there's ever been and it's the same thing with old school magic as well i feel like whenever i look at new magic cards it doesn't have the vibe of like old school like, fantasy post in the chat if you guys yeah post it post it in the chat i'd love to see the google search link to some of john blanche's stuff okay uh, let's see um got this i oh in the private chat let's see yeah in the oh store. hell yeah like what about that is punk it is heavy metal this these <laughs> these always whenever I see these this days, feels like a metallica album not gonna lie <laughs> it feels like a megadeth album actually uh, yeah if, that's probably more accurate if you scroll down if you go two down from that one down middle you got the famous image of the emperor this nope next next to it this. on the right okay oh. this one okay oh yeah. that goes oh man and now i can't see that without seeing the text speech thing that became a thing um did you ever watch those pause i didn't they were a little before my time in terms of consuming warhammer media i've been reading the fiction forever and i've been playing for a number of years now but i just never got into any of the big youtube shows or the podcasts about it that's fair i like to experience warhammer for myself that's that's fair it the only thing that the the texas speech kind of series did was it gave these totally new personalities to like these characters that you kind of fall in love with like it made me actually like magnus as a character because he's just kind of like this kind of petulant kid but he just wants his dad's approval whereas he's an asshole in in actual lore yeah he is the most self-centered self-righteous dickhead in the entire setting 
and and this kind of goes back to like what we were talking about with Drizzt is that not like bad guys can stay bad. You do not need the good retelling of every person because it, then it makes the well, what good if they guys... redeem themselves, Lorenzo? But what if they redeem themselves? Well, this is like the this. Have you ever heard of the feminist retelling of Dracula? No, I'm um, not familiar with that one. I'm about to I'm about to make you guys hurt a little bit. There's a, there's a school of thought that says that Dra- Dracula was actually like good for women's liberation because post getting bitten, like they the women are more independent or some shit. So there are people there are, there are fe- like gender studies degree people that think that Dracula was a good guy despite him being a literal vampire. <laughs> And that's another thing that as much as I like think that Vampire, the Masquerade, and the World Darkness setting is a little too edgy and stuff, the vampires are unquestionably the bad guys. And you are playing as bad guys, and you have to confront that every single time you do things, especially when you're feeding. Like you either turn someone into your slave, or you break into people's houses to feed on them while they sleep, or you like sexually assault them or like seduce them. Like, and that's like, as much as it's kind of full of people that the twilight brain types that, that thinks that certainly is nowadays, it certainly is nowadays. And I think a lot of the fan, like vampire fantasy or that kind of dark fantasy type thing has been taken over by people that are just really horny. (laughs) So much of tabletop gaming to bring it full circle back to D and D is just full of horny. That was need to stop. (laughs) <laughs> like i they need like, to stop roll to seduce is a meme in tabletop culture and i want to beat anyone who has ever deployed it at their actual yeah. table well I, I know thousands of people have calm down you you realize that it's the equivalent of like phone sex with another guy especially it's like it's two guys <laughs> across the table from you you're 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 essentially doing phone sex with another guy <laughs> as that guy has to generally role play a woman <laughs> it is not cool i also i hate that type of stuff and i think that there's like there's an element of getting into the role play and i remember listening to the the tla episode you and bird where it was you and bird talking about D for like oh, a yeah. while was was that in? i thought that was all before we started recording he left it all in and <laughs> oh, it was great goodness. okay <laughs> and it was and like it's one of the things that you said that was great it was like I think you also said something where it was like, I want my chaste romance. And I was like, exactly. We need, yeah. you know, like- you gotta, you gotta go the Tolkien route and not put any women in your world that anyone <laughs> can interact with. Like, you know, there's the, there's the joke about the only time that there, there, there's only one moment in Peter Jackson's depiction of the Lord of the Rings where two women interact with one another. <laughs> and you, you would love Warhammer 40k, dude. The only women you'll ever interact with are literal nuns that have you know, nuns. <laughs> that that I mean, technically they're Who not are some of the most badass characters in the setting, by the way. I have a deep and abiding love. The sisters of battle are great, and also technically they're not like celibate, but they're so devoted to the emperor. You don't, they're so batshit crazy that you don't want to go near them. Yeah, there's no actual vow of celibacy, but I can only think of one occasion in all of lore 
in which one even talks about a relationship, doesn't even actively engage in it. They're the talks they're the brides of the emperor. They're you know they they're not going to break their wedding vows to go as some lowly mortal. And it's it's dude. I'm sorry. You make this sound so metal and so cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sending you. I'm. I think pause. Should, what what should we start David on to get him on his Warhammer journey? Uh, I've got some suggestions. All right, um, I'll take it. I think the best starters are personally. The Eisenhorn series by Dan Abnett, because he is the finest writer in 40Ks and Warhammers and Game Workshop stable. Eisenhorn is a great. I've heard, I've, all my stuff has been from consuming like podcast lore dumps um, because I don't really have time to read as much anymore. And mm-hmm. I'm always on the hunt for something to fill my ears 24 7. I seem to like there's the reason I bought a record player for my apartment is so that I didn't have my earbuds in all the time because <laughs> I have them in all I am consuming content like all the time. Um, yep. But see, there- to go quickly back to art because I just came across this. My favorite artist in all of Magic the Gathering is Seb McKinnon. Oh. And you can't tell me that his art style isn't beautiful. Have you? Do you remember oh, Ther- that is amazing. Look up uh look up um Therese Nielsen cuz she got canceled. She was part of the freedom the trucker freedom protests. No, that and was he- McKinnon. No, it, it but was it Mc- No, also No, cuz cuz Therese Nielsen, right? She was tra- she was transphobic. <laughs> and so they canceled her. Yeah, so Watsy Watsy got rid of her, which is such a terrible thing, but Therese Nielsen Old school magic art is gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous. And it's a real damn shame that a lot of their best artists have been let go because of their cultural stance. And it's the thing of everything becomes gay. Everything becomes this gay homogenous blob where you will have to play with the 400 pound tiefling warlock with face piercings. Listen, listen tabletop role-playing games are inherently right-wing because they are good and beautiful and they can be used for art and stories and that's why the leftist shits have to come along and ruin what is absolutely good and beautiful in this world they create nothing good they can only subvert it and make it look distorted and ugly like they are pause have you ever been uh subjected to the the tabletop role-playing game that varg vikernis made no, because I hate that fucker. Put him <laughs> with the sword. That's fair. He's a okay. So David, he's terrible. He burned churches. Uh, he's a pagan. He likes pre-industrial society and thinks that being autistic is an Aryan European trait. <laughs> Let him go live in, in in pre-industrial society. I'll send him myself. The only thing that I ever, I mean, I will say one of his albums is pretty decent in terms of kind of atmospheric stuff. Um, And I appreciate that he tried to make an explicitly kind of divorced from gay stuff role-playing game, but he's just a terrible person. (laughs) And he's a pagan, so that's even worse. You mentioned doing a prison stint for murder at one point. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention he killed the the guitarist in this band. Now, granted, uh, I feel like I've heard about this guy now. He insists that, yeah, because I think Joe told you about him at some point. Uh, yeah. 
but uh, granted, he does insist that it was in self-defense. And that whole scene, basically everyone was about to murder each other at a certain point in the early 90s Norwegian black metal scene. So, oh, yeah. That's Therese Nielsen, the art that David has put up on there. If you can see that, pause. That's uh, yes, yeah. That's what that's what D and D art. That's what magic art used to look like, man. It was this kind of like she always look up uh, Hannah Ship's Navigator. Okay, H A N N A, no H. Ship's Navigator. Okay. Oh, there's, and then it's there's some Therese Nielsen art. This just it's like one of my favorite magic characters, and old school magic lore was really interesting too. It had this very like. Since a yeah. lot of it was on this like desert planet, yeah, uh, the the quality's not quite there. But yeah. I love her art style; it's very old school looking. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I just saw the title there running yeah. that under <laughs> the girl next door. Yeah, that's from her website. <laughs> <laughs> People are so horny, man. People are dude, dude. Just... That is from Therese Nielsen's website. <laughs> yes, People she wrote just... that herself. People Before need to stop. We can worry about restoring tabletop gaming to what it should be. We need to acknowledge that the real enemy of humanity at all is horny, and horny must be destroyed. So, so true. true. So true. I mean, it's if you think about it, all of these. I mean, it's the sexual revolution that really kind of had <laughs> made things take a downturn. <laughs> it feels like that Domino's meme, you know, where you have like on the side and then it goes up to the top and it's like the sexual revolution, the collapse of Dungeons and Dragons. Well, yeah, some some hippies discovering LSD in 1960. And <laughs> um, and this is another thing I was going to talk about as well, because outside of nerd stuff pause you're really more you're also you know the resident witch hunter in terms of knowing a lot about occult knowledge but not being one of the people that's gay and gets into it because they like occult but because they want to be part of the occult um you you understand what's going on behind the scenes and try to fight it i like to think i do i you're a resident witch hunter um but the, I remember you saying something at some point, and you said that the dirt of America is cursed. And what do you mean by that? Well, it almost feels like it, doesn't it? In Europe, in the old world, of course, they have their monsters, their legends, their horrific things hiding in the woods. But there is nowhere you can go in non-urban America, and in many parts, even urban America, where there is not something horrific, right? Yeah, yeah. Whether it be Bigfoot, the Dog Man, the Goat Man, the Frog Man, the Moth Man, the ancient giants, ghosts everywhere. And uh, the very soil of America seems to some to be cursed, and it's hard to make an argument against that. So it's it's a little bit short and sweet, but you know, it's just an honest statement of hey, there's a deep evil that seeped into and beneath the soil of this place and we may have a moral duty to cleanse it you know where i really and felt I that i don't mean that as a literal crusade to like go burning buildings down or anything but to acknowledge that america is a land of spiritual battle fundamentally 
I mean, we can go on a crusade pause. I'm fine with that. Let's go. Let's, 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 I mean, I, I will say one th- one area that always makes me feel that way was the one time I've been in New England. There is something about New England that is dark. It is. Have, have you been? Have you been kind of that way? Pause. I wish I've never have no, but I'd like to. Boston is a cool city. Cambridge is gorgeous. It's all old, old buildings and like cobbled sidewalks. And, you know, it it made my Midwestern heart kind of happy seeing proper, you know, leaf fall and in gorgeous colors in the fall. Um, That's one thing I really miss down here in Texas is proper four seasons. (laughs) Um, You'll get over it soon. (laughs) No, I won't. I love the winter. I love the fall. I'm not a fan. So. Yeah. How do you? I, 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 I do too. I can't stand the heat. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, I, I, I did not move down to Texas for the weather. Let me, let me say that I did not move down here for the weather. I love, like, right now our winter is great, and I didn't realize how much I missed the rain. It's been like kind of drizzly and misty the past few days, and that's kind of a constant. Because <laughs> I, so I'm. I pause. I'm fr- I'm not really from like the Midwestern states, but I'm from Rochester and I Rochester, New York, and I think that kind of counts considering we have much more in common with Detroit and Cleveland than we do in New York City. So I would say, in general, when you see people doing region maps, uh, New England outside of the urban areas often gets lumped with the Midwest, and I kind of disagree with that. But there are cultural similarities and definitely climate similarities. So. You know, not that it's my place, but I'll allow it. There's- so so I actually saw this, and I thought this was perfect to pull up. So this little map that shows the people who consider themselves in the Midwest. And, you know, obviously it centers like Minnesota, Iowa. I'm from Minnesota originally. Now I'm in Florida for college and stuff. But it's Minnesota, Iowa are the highest, and then it's like – Wisconsin, Missouri, right? All this stuff. You guys can see the map. Maybe the viewers, maybe the listeners can't, but they can. They'll quickly find it. I'll link to it in the show notes or something, so they people can look ever into actually it. do that. Because I say all the time, I'm going to and never do. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I've I rarely ever go into the show notes. I remember. <laughs> Are there people in Arkansas who call themselves Midwesterners? I guess twenty seven percent of them do. <laughs> what on earth? Yeah. Oklahoma's at sixty six. Let me. I mean, I think that the Midwest. I think is all like the Midwest, at least in terms of its southern border, is the Mason Dixon line. I don't think you can really kind of argue with that like kansas is midwestern but oklahoma is not midwestern oklahoma is just part of the texas region let's be fair well but here's the thing eastern oklahoma or western or eastern oklahoma and western arkansas are an ozark kind of thing and like you know i have a uh actually someone i met on twitter who i'm actually going up to his place again he lives up in way like the top left corner of arkansas and it doesn't feel like Little Rock. It doesn't feel like when you drive through and you go to West Memphis, if you guys have ever done a proper road trip like that. Um, and also, I'm trying to find, I had a gorgeous dialect map that that showed American English dialects by county. And it, to this day, was one of the best like ways of showing how 
different cultures or how different places have certain things. Like I speak more close. I speak more similar English to you guys than I do to a New Yorker, especially with how I kind of emphasize my O's. Ah, that nasally kind of thing. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think I have I we've gone over this on the show, but I don't think I have the stereotypical Minnesotan accent. I don't go, oh, don't you know there, bud? Because that's more of like a North Dakota, South Dakota thing then. What do you yeah, think, Taz? Like even that specific accent is a little bit different than what's considered the rest of the Midwestern accent. Like yeah. if you talk to someone from Michigan, Iowa, Illinois, or Indiana, that core Midwest, they're all gonna sound the same. But as you start drifting towards the Great Plains, there's a little bit more of that pinch you're talking about. Yeah, and I mean, also if you hear if you hear someone from like I think Rust Belt English is a certain kind of thing as well. Um, what do you call Coke, or what do you call the the type of beverage that is Coke? Uh, around here, we alternate between soda and pop. Thank you. It just depends on who you ask. We use both around here. Thank you. I think that's kind of a, a thing. I, I, I find the old people use pop and the young people use soda. Um, yeah, actually, I think that is a fair distinction. I mean, I kind of think I think I switch on and off based on which one of them I I, I feel like at any given time to use. But I definitely. Switching, he- but for Midwestern Hicks. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when I slip into a little bit of, you know, running into a bit of an accent when I'm talking to my Hispanic maintenance guy. But instead of that, I just kind of sound a little more like this. And you got to kind of get a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Oh, yeah, there, bud. You know, don't you know? Got to go and get our tater tot hot dish down in, down in Fargo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I learned what hot dish was. That was an interesting thing. It's just I've, I've never had a casserole. See, I, I really like casseroles. And I, for some reason, have never called it hot dish. So I've always called it like tater tot casserole, which apparently it's a Minnesota thing to call it that. What do you call it, Puzz? Um, well, again, for me, it's an instance of what group of people am I talking to? It's going to be either one of those. Okay. Again, yeah. with the code switching. Right. Because you're to those folk. <laughs> uh, okay. you're, in, to... you're in Wisconsin, right? That's right. I am in the southwest corner, right along the river. You know what? I'll oh. give your show the full docs. I live in. <laughs> Come fight me. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a note of that to cut that out for you, pause. You literally don't have to if you don't want to. I don't no, I, I, I gotta do some editing anyway, so I'll clip it out. But David. yeah, I've driven through that area plenty of times, so that's pretty neat. David has cut out me saying a few times and i don't it depends on what i say before or after it because sometimes i notice that you're you you slip up sometimes and uh you don't say (laughs) let's see if i can send this i'm going to copy this link see if i can send it um send this image i'm going to see if i can copy this or i'm going to send this into the chat it's a uh map of is it a link? Because you're not going to be able to send an image in the chat. Oh, I'll send it into the Twitter thing. It's ah, something okay. to look into, but it's a great map um, of all of your dialects. And it puts the the Inland North dialect, which is what... Oh, this, this autistic thing again. Yeah. And it, and it basically puts everyone in the Midwest, save for Northern Minnesota, Uper's... Chicago land there. 
Yeah, but coastal Maine diet. Wait, what is mine supposed to be? Coastal Maine. I don't Whatever know. Whatever this is, this this weird the purple. purple. Yeah, that's uh, that's upper Midwest dialect. That's closer to I think that Fargo kind of thing. Okay, so that's what that is. Yeah, I don't talk like that. <laughs> I like how we we've brought up this map several different times, but it's my way of insisting that I am part of the Midwest because I don't speak the same English as someone from New York city. Um, because yeah. people from New York city are wrong. <laughs> so inland <laughs> North dialect is what it looks like goes around there. And right I along the coast. I'll also say they make special Texas sized cars. And I think they should do not that, but they should do uh, a Midwest slash rust belt edition car that just has a reinforced bottom. So it doesn't rust out or some sort of rust resistance because you just need to put chains on your wheels and then get rid of ice, get rid of salting the roads like in Alaska, then your cars won't rust out. Uh, no, as much <laughs> as I hate the rust out, I do not want to have to deal with chaining. And um... <laughs> it's chaining season there, boys. <laughs> Uh, watch out for a deer now. Um, the uh, dude. So look, if I can derail us even further than we've already derailed. Oh, go can ahead. I tell you a story about deer. Please Absolutely. do. Um, before I moved to my current apartment in, I used to live in the small town that I was born and grew up in, and I was commuting an hour to work on a state highway. But state highways in rural Wisconsin are still what they're gonna be, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm going around a 45 mile an hour turn and I spot a group of four deer and I slam on my brakes and I get stopped in time. And the four deer walk very casually across the road. Yep. They yep. cross just fine. And I start accelerating again. And a fifth one is <laughs> running to catch up with them and plows smack into my passenger door. Oh, oh no <laughs> at that point what do you even do i stopped for the deer and let them cross and it still wasn't enough this they is delicious but they are a pest well this is what i explained to like anti-hunting people is that we are literally the only predator that deers have in like the north down south i feel like everything down here tries to kill you but we kind of tamed the north enough that basically the weather will kill you and outside of that like yeah the state fucking environmental agencies in the midwest have had to reintroduce predators because there wasn't enough of them left after we were done with Mm -hmm. And it was actually really interesting. I, I I caught a little bit of Bird's episode of Braxton McCoy before it glitched out, but he was talking about how re reintroducing the wolf into the West was actually a bad idea. Um, but it was interesting because over in these week, like we could do with a few wolves because <laughs> there's no like we need to be hunting more deer now granted i've actually never had venison and i'd love to try it it's venison jerky is incredible i i'll, I'll take your word for it i definitely am gonna have some soon at some point um venison is my favorite even over beef the problem mm -hmm. is it's very hard to get unless you hunt it yourself yeah you know, uh there's laws around just who's allowed to actually sell it you don't go to a meat raffle a meat raffle <laughs> there is such a thing. 
Yeah. There's none around me, but there is such a thing. I know of them. I heard it from one Charlie Barron's video, so I know it's true. I've been Um, to a meet raffle. Everything Charlie says is true. That man's an American hero. It's so true. Every time I watch any of his videos, it's like I can understand about eighty percent of it because I deal with the same shit. I was I showed it. I showed one of his video on winter driving to my girlfriend before we went up for the holidays because I was like, "There's certain things you got to (laughs) learn." Did you ever have to do? Did you ever have to clean out your windshield with a credit card? De-ice your windshield with a credit card? Yeah, good I times. I do it frequently, but, you know, I know that life, yeah. <laughs> there was one time I had forgotten uh, a thing in the back of my car, whatever they're called, scraper. And uh, well, I was going out to breakfast with uh, my cousin because he had a um, he has a little cabin out by, the, like, one of the smaller Finger Lakes in upstate New York. Oh, isn't mm-hmm. that, like, one of the deep state places? <laughs> you know, I've heard that. I've heard that because people always Hunter say Biden's that... got a tattoo on his back of those lakes. Yeah, I've always heard that it's had some sort of like connection to like child trafficking. But if you talk to certain people on our corner of the internet, everyone's everything's got a connection to child trafficking. Well, yeah. you know, I might be one of those guys. So ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're less so because you're smart about it. There's certain people that that kind of go and that are Q boomers about it. Yeah, it's the Q types. It's the Q types, or it's you know, I saw a lot of them come out with uh, the tunnels, um, that whole fiasco that happened <laughs> recently. <laughs> but um. Yeah, the Q types are the ones that I'm talking about, and I've heard more of the Great Lake stuff from them, but I wouldn't be surprised if weird shit happens there. There are a lot of very, very rich people that live on the Finger Lakes, including, I don't know if you have any in Wisconsin. Have you ever been to a Wegmans? Uh, I've never been in one, but I know what they are. They're the best grocery store in the world. Uh and I used to work at the big one that the owner get went to all the time, but um he lives on one of the Finger Lakes. But anyway, I was going out with my with my cousin because we were going to do work. He, I was essentially his helper out on the cabin and, you know, cutting down trees and doing manual labor. And it was a good, honest, hard day's work. And I would get free lunch out of it. And it was an enjoyable time. Um, there's something to be said about that kind of that uh, Protestant work. <laughs> like there's something good about that hard day's work. Um, yes, there is. I believe the Protestant work ethic is real. It remains to be determined whether it's actually a good thing or not. That's that's we actually had a d- discussion in our last episode about that because I, you know, I um, did we yeah, talk about that? Yeah, we talked about that because we were talking about no, it was the episode before that. It was talking about bedtime anarchy or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, bedtime anarchy. <laughs> And I was like, people just say, I don't like the Protestant work week or whatever. And it's like, there, you know, there is something to be said about a good, honest, hard day's work where you end the day. The idea of the traditional nine to five work week is a myth anyways. I am genuinely in middle management at my company and my shift starts at 4 a.m. My, my shifts, I mean, like my, when I do an eight hour it's generally noon to eight. Um, I like the nine to five is literally a boomer myth 
and I wish I could have that sort of privilege. That's one of the dead fragments of the American dream that us millennials and Zoomers have a right to mourn. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's and it's funny because now there really isn't like a rush hour anymore. There really isn't like and it's interesting because that was the nine to five thing was an office job thing. But I don't even know. Nowadays, I feel like all the office jobs are work from home um, or at least it depends. They people they people have ruined it for everyone else at this point. And so they're just like, yeah, you got to get your, your ass back into the office at this point. I didn't really, you know, I've never worked anything that would require me to work from home. I was in school during the last bits of COVID. Um, and then I've either worked in food service <laughs> or at a music shop. Uh, so, you know, that was actually the best job. The best job outside of the current one I have that I ever had was doing big uh, catering deliveries for a barbecue restaurant and getting free barbecue. I used to that really like rad. working at McDonald's. What did you say, Foz? I said that sounds rad as like a fringe benefit, a side perk. Oh, it was great. I mean, because like barbecue isn't cheap, especially up north. So like I and, and especially because the orders I would take were like big corporate orders. So I'd be, you know, I'd be lugging up two Cambros worth of food and set it up for them and make the nice hot like the, the buffet tray and get everyone all set up and then leave and the and since people will be ordering like a thousand dollars worth of food i'd get a nice hefty tip off that <laughs> um but i but going back to the midwest bringing it all back uh what are your thoughts so we've we've had a we've had a uh running debate on like which best, one uh we've several <laughs> <laughs> Our, our 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 most ongoing one is one related to Pink Floyd, and I don't know if you want to step in on that one. <laughs> um, uh, it has to do with the Animals album, if you've listened to that. Well, what are the tracks on it? I know the singles, but uh, dogs, pigs, sheep. The the obnoxiously yeah, long. Familiar. I'm sorry. I'm it's all good. Guy. What'd you say? I said I'm sorry. I'm a meatloaf guy. Oh, meatloaf is cool. Um, but well, essentially we have a debate over one of the songs and I think that that album is kind of Pink Floyd at their most proggy. Uh, I don't, th there's two, there's two songs that are about a minute each and then every other song clocks in at about over 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but, um, I, uh, one of our debates is talking about best fast food chains. And honestly, after having a lot of the stuff down here, I do just love Culver's. I don't. Culver's rocks, man. Nothing more to be said about it. They're fucking rocks. Their fries aren't great. That's the only thing I don't like. But why are you getting fries there anyways? They've got cheese curds on the menu. Exactly. You know, I've never had a cheese curd. What the Fuck, dude. Tell me why I shouldn't hang up right now. <laughs> I really Because wanna... I've eaten a good fair share. I've made my own cheese curds. I really I, re I redeem it. I even the, the scale here. I wanna have them, but I would I wouldn't feel right not having my first cheese curd not in Wisconsin. Like I feel like I should be in Wisconsin or somewhere in the Midwest and have my first cheese curd. It won't be the same down in Texas. Okay, well, you know what? That's a really good cop out. So congratulations. <laughs> I I look and I well, you I do learn way out of it. I did weasel my way. I they have a great root beer as well. Culver's has a great root beer and a great milkshake. 
Um, Very true. I was I I had a little bit of a heart attack when I was um when I drove down here to Florida and I saw an exit sign that listed a Culver's here. I was like, I didn't realize it moved beyond like <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> well, that's just it. I mean, it doesn't really. There's just those few oddball outposts in the deep south. There's yeah. more to conserve the deep south. I no, I feel like at a certain point it's like horseshoe theory where the further actually south you get, the more you wrap up to basically being Yankee country. And Florida is Yankee is Yankee South at this point. Okay. Except for Florabama, which I feel like would probably classify yeah, as Yeah, that's deep like south. The, the panhandle right up there. Yeah. The shaft. No, not the shaft, the root. Um but I mean that's the thing. If you look at the if like the deep south i think is uh there actually i saw on the uh on that dialect map i would put it under the piney woods belt accent that's the deep south it's south alabama south louisiana south mississippi south georgia i think that's georgia and like the kind of bits of florida before you get to that tip that's all it also has Spanglish. Of course it does. It's Miami. Everyone speaks. Everyone's bilingual in Miami. I gotta um, learn some Spanish for this for this damn country. I have to I have to learn some Spanish too, man. I work at a I work at a Domino's that oh I the nothing. I at the Domino's I work at, Michael Malice himself walked in and got pizza. <laughs> which was a very odd thing to happen. Uh you should have did you when he walked in, were you like, there's the manlet? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's actually he is pretty. Did he tip short. good? Did he tip good? I don't, good? I don't know. I'm a delivery driver. I don't. I don't. I don't deal with any of that stuff there. And you don't. You don't. He was. He's one of. The, he was one of the only people that ever sits down and eats pizza at the Domino's that I work at. Everyone like You're takes kidding. it. Yes. Is that a real story? <laughs> yes, I am dead serious. I come into the store after taking a delivery. This delivery was actually a brutal one because I delivered it to a guy that spoke zero English and gave me two wrong addresses. That was a fun trying to mime my way over the phone to get him to tell me the name of his apartment complex so I could look it up. But um, I walk in and there's Michael Malice sitting at a table with three other weird looking guys. <laughs> and keep in mind pause i live in like i don't think austin has like a ghetto per se but i live in kind of the rough part <laughs> if there was okay. a rough part you know it's it's low income it's the low income part of town. Mm, exactly it's very very hispanic um which has its pros and its cons. Like my uh, one of my coworkers wears a rosary. It's really funny. <laughs> um, but like, there's some very religious types. But there's also some not religious types. But um, I walk in. There's Michael Malice, and he's sitting down. And we never have people sit and eat pizza. But he and his buddies sat down and like the made the pizza. And I like gave, brought all the pizzas over to them. And the only thing I really said was I told him that I liked uh, I liked his writing. I, I was like, "Do you yeah. actually though?" Yeah, I didn't. I, I don't want to approach the famously prickly Michael Malice and ask him for anything more. And just I just want no, to but say, like, have you actually read what he's written? Yeah, I, I read. Shit, haven't. I I read about a quarter of the Anarchist Handbook, 
Um, well, he, he didn't. He, okay, shit. technically, he didn't write that. He didn't write any of it. He just grabbed a bunch of essays and crammed it into a book. I was. I mean, if I was going to be completely honest, I would have said thank you for being the only person that can shut Tim Pool's bitch ass mouth up. <laughs> but I can't say that to him. I can't at say work that. at least. I would have thanked you for your service. <laughs> I, you know, there are a lot of things that ran through my head, but again, I was not going to tempt fate with the famously abrasive and aggressive Michael Malice. You should have asked him what he did with the puppet. I should have asked him uh, if what he did with the cash cab money. <laughs> you ever seen that cash cab appearance? Yeah. Uh no, I've he, never watched any Cash Cab in my life. I've the only Cash Cab I've ever watched was the one with Michael Malice. It's like from like 25 years ago, and he's with some lady who looks very punk. And then at the very end, when they went for uh, he basically and typical Malice fashion, he antagonized the the host the entire time, and. Then when they were like, do you want to do double or nothing at the very end? He's like, no, I'm keeping the money. I've made good money from this. Why the hell would I gamble it on the final question? Gosh. <laughs> which, so which, I mean, here's the thing. If I was in his shoes, I would do the exactly the same thing in terms of that part. Because it's like, I'm... I'm someone that looks doesn't, you know, I, I don't look a gift horse in the mouth. If someone is like, here are... You know, there are certain the types most of- important thing about gambling is knowing when to ta- walk away with your winnings. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally. Yeah. That song is a great instructional guide to anyone who wants to start playing poker. <laughs> I'm, I am dead serious. Um, but yeah, the the best way. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes, sometimes you can't look at things and go, but what if there was more? It's like the inverse of. It's the inverse of sunk cost fallacy, right? It's like the sunk cost fallacy is like, I'm not in deep enough yet. I can still claw my way back out. But then there's the inverse where it's like, I've made this much money. What if I made more? What if I turned my 5,000 into 10,000? It's like, no, I'm going to take that 5,000 and then I'm going to make a nice little, you know, probably do a little. I'll buy myself an an okay base. (laughs) I was going to say, I can buy myself a pretty damn good base with that kind of money. Um. But it's an, it's it's all about ROI. It's all about return on investment. Um, I was recently introduced to the concept of girl math, which I, I feel don't like don't even what? know what that means. Uh, I so essentially, I think that the the opposite sex has some problems when it comes to computing because uh, you don't say. <laughs> one of the core core tenets of girl math is. Anything that I pay for in cash is essentially free. <laughs> what? And as they uh, don't have to look at a bank account, is that it? And here's the thing: I'd get that if I didn't do do a job where I make cash tips, because now I know exactly how much goes into that. You know, the most horrific part of all of that is. Given the way our currency has been debased by the cabals in power, they're almost not even wrong. But not in the way they think they are. Yeah, it's a, you can't really sit someone down. You can't really sit down someone and be like, well, you know, this has to do with something that happened in 1912, the creation of the Federal Reserve. You can't really do that. Or, I mean, if we're going to go by other... You got to put it in terms of Barbie. 
<laughs> Imagine if the Kens came in and started clipping all the coins. Imagine if you had your Barbie. Ima- actually, a good example is you could go and be like, look at how this Barbie is worth this much because it's in this box. That's backed by something. It's backed by the value of that Barbie. But imagine in 1971 when we finally got rid of the gold standard, which I wasn't. Who did that? Nixon. The one mistake he made. The one mistake. No, his second his second mistake was opening up to the Chinese. Not because I'm like, I'm just... Uh, against the Chinese, it's not a, it's not even a free trade versus protectionism argument. I'm he just, just a little racist. <laughs> I'm just a little well, racist. I guess if we want to pretend that he made more than one mistake, and I emphasize pretend, <laughs> pretend. Then perhaps I would nominate not utterly annihilating the CIA when they began to fuck with him, and instead letting them instigate a coup against him. Let's be that, fair. That I, I be combo for another time. <laughs> I think his only mistake was actually recording all of his conversations in the White House. Man, they were all doing that, though. What people yeah, don't but realize, it was Kennedy who put that system in. <laughs> but the problem is that they couldn't release the Kennedy tapes because that would be not safe for work. Well, not that the Nixon ones are, you know? <laughs> I, I remember seeing this one where he's talking about the Jews. And then at a very, it's like, it's something like something, 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 and then inaudible, and then Jews. <laughs> uh, yeah, times were a little different then with what you could and couldn't say. Pause, do you think Watergate was a setup? I don't even have to think it. It objectively was. That, I mean, yeah, that's actually another thing that I we haven't even touched on is kind of how you do, um, not only do you do like the kind of occult stuff, but you can kind of delve into the deep kind of, I remember you, the first time I ever talked with you was getting MK Ultra clips off you or asking for them anyway. I mean, probably. Did I ever send them to you? If I did, uh, I apologize. <laughs> I think, I think you, I think you sent me a few things for, a, and it was for a project that ended up not working out anyway. I had written song lyrics about a song, and I was talking about the uh, McGill experiments. Oh, and then he got a girlfriend. Right. He was like, "Maybe I'm not psychotic." <laughs> no, I, no. I do remember that now? Yeah. I was. I had written a piece about the McGill. Like I had written the lyrics about the kind of essentially the McGill experiments um, and some of the things that had happened to the people that had gone through what that whatever that Scottish guy's name was that had done all of it. Um, but uh, we. It wasn't even. It just turns out that my band we're not even going to incorporate vocals into our stuff because we don't really want to. And since we're not really together in the same location and gigging as much, we can just do whatever the hell we want. Um, but what, what do you think are kind of the big, if you were going to talk to an, a, a, a normal person or a normie and kind of be like, all right, this, these are the biggest ways to show that our, our system is corrupt and they've been lying to you about this. What would you start with? Gosh, um, you know, the one that I've always found good luck with, and part of this is symptomatic of my rhetorical style, is I love to start with the Giants and the Smithsonian cover-up. 
What? And I know that's a heavy one, and it's super what? outlandish. Okay, you're going to have to tell us this one. <laughs> but starting from there and then working backwards towards the more reasonable stuff, it, it's a game with the Overton window, right? You take the Overton window, and you throw the person out the fucking window, and then you pull them back in to where they're in a reasonable range. Is this like and when you show... for what that is, uh, I'll explain the giant thing to you. If I can have, say, like a two and a half minute break, real quick. Absolutely. Amongst yourselves for just a moment. Yeah, sure. I I was going to, the equivalent of that in terms of politics is like to exposing someone to right wing Twitter for like, (laughs) for a solid few weeks, then going, okay, so now how do we feel about lowering taxes? (laughs) Like, Going from, you know, I I I always have to remind myself that half that stuff is not real and all these people are, most of the people are not real and that everything is kind of fake and... Dead internet theory, man. Dead internet theory. Well, dead internet theory is just a cope for the fact that we're just really stupid. No, I w- I'm, I'm also like... 90% convinced of it because you've seen the crap, right? Like where there you'll get like those video Twitter accounts that'll show up. And then in the replies, it's all just a bunch of unrelated videos or just like copies of it. Well, did you see the one time when that one like science girl account reposted a thing that was like, (laughs) (laughs) well, and I think that That was wild stuff, bro. I think that you could make an argument for dead Twitter. Like, I think that out of all the activity on Twitter, I think a large majority of it is completely automated at this point, but um i don't i don't think that the rest of i think there's other parts of the internet that are still very much alive like i don't think you could look at a 4chan board and not see that the internet is very much alive it's just that twitter has turned especially in recent times all the bots and tiktok is kind of there's certain things like people talk about all the bots on twitter all of a sudden but i'm not sure people remember twitter from like 2016 2017 bots have always infested the platform constantly really it's not a new issue for you okay let me me do the math here so i was i mean i was looking in like i i was i was thinking that um because we were talking a little bit you're gone about like dead internet theory and i think i was telling david i think it's kind of a cope for how stupid humans really are but I do think that there is something to be said about Twitter has gotten less alive when you look at how there's certain accounts that just every every response is something unrelated from another account that's an AI generated account and it's all like the you know did you see that one where it was that like science account that retweeted a, like a schizo hyperborea video? Yes, I did. And you know what there is is something to that i don't think the internet's dead but it is dying that's i mean yeah. just look at your google results even mm-hmm. duck duck go and bing aren't immune i was search engines fundamentally don't work and part of that is seo but part of it is bot technology too i was listening to an episode of the end times continue with ace and dean and they were just taught i think one of the recent ones they were talking about um they were talking about how search engines have been getting worse and i think i think dean had mentioned that like uh when reddit went down for a little bit people realized that they were getting all their answers from reddit threads instead of googling it 
they were looking, they were Googling to find the Reddit thread, which is kind of a symptom of how the internet has been. And I think Reddit just kind of took over all the other forums because a lot of the other, from what I've heard from other people from back in the day, you would go. culture is a hundred percent dead. Yeah. Um, There's, there are forums living in the ashes of the forum golden age, but all forums outside of Reddit are fundamentally dead. Yeah. I haven't seen, I mean, there's ones that are like, there's there's some for very niche things. There's one called Talkbase, but the problem with Talkbase is that everyone on there is a loser. Um, so my personal favorite, Bolter and Chainsword. Oh As hell you yeah! I guess it's a Warhammer forum, <laughs> and it's pretty popping yet. And there's a lot of stuff that gets leaked on there that really probably shouldn't, which is why I check it out. Would but, you call uh, 4chan a forum? I wouldn't. I don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 I uh, it's kind of the last vestiges of what showing what raw unfiltered internet. Is Dude, like. have you seen Instagram Real algorithms these days? That's true. Instagram Real algorithms. Instagram Real algorithms have become like live leak. I can tell you that last night while scrolling Instagram, I saw no less than five people die in horrific car accidents. <laughs> Like, I, I assure you that all the people involved in those videos are all dead now. <laughs> yeah, I see. I just like car crash video and then the most racist thing you've like. The problem is that there's a lot of there's a lot of like r- proper racists on Twitter, but they're not fun. They're all like a lot of them. A lot of them are up their own ass about it. And they start talking about all sorts of things. And it's all like the groiper types. And they're so and they all worship Nick Fuentes, who's just. Ugh. gay but then but on the other hand you have the instagram racist where it is the most shockingly racist thing you've seen all day and then when someone in the comments is like this is actually uh, like problematic everyone's like boo shut up and it's this troglodyte humor that i love it's like this is this is a, a vestige of the old internet coming back i i assume in not a self-serious way like all the twitter racists do <laughs> And I hope you you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the Twitter racists, the kind of self-serious types. Yeah. But Taz, tell us about Giants. I need to hear about the Giants. As as a Wendigoon fan, I, I need to hear more. Um quick and dirty, fast as I can go. There was the biblical concept of the Nephilim. Uh they bred with humans, created a race of warrior king giants, supposedly destroyed in the flood, cropped back up again in Canaan. Uh, that's where they end in the Bible. Nations, around, nations, cultures all around the world have traditions of these giant warriors that are more often than not also cannibalistic. And these things lived amongst us, sometimes peacefully, usually at war, until as recently as the late 1700s, very early 1800s, before dying out completely. And then the Smithsonian instigated a systematic cover-up by collecting and destroying their skeletons as they were discovered throughout the Americas and eventually around the world. Whoa. And that is as fast as I can go with it. The quickest way to summarize it all, there is hours and hours and hours of content about this. But suffice to say, we can even track part of this down 
because there have been times in the Smithsonian annual reviews and reports where they are mentioned, and then all of a sudden it's as if they never happened. That's crazy. I, I had no. That's like, I um, and here's the thing: if 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 that had come from anybody else, I wouldn't really think. But since it came from you, and you're always very grounded with it, I'm like, okay, I, I'm gonna look into that because that's one thing you're. It, I like the people that go into the kind of unexplained stuff, but are still very grounded with how they go about it. And they're not going to go. I think there's a lot of people online that will believe anything that they see because the government told them not to believe it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're not one of those folks. Um, you, you have, a, you have an actual, and I, I because I remember hearing you talk about um, the Asatru cults. Just recently. Yeah, this was recently. Was that the was that like the weird pagan one that was that the popped up with those missing kids? In yeah. Indiana. Do yeah, you have any I, new updates on that? I don't because it's a project I want to do and I just haven't had time really for a committed deep dive and that's one that kind of demands it given everything that's kind of come out around it but that's yeah because i i think i remember watching a video a couple months ago which was talking about this it was about like the two girls that were like friends with some person on snapchat right and then they follow they go into the woods to meet up with this person and then they're not found again right was that it uh yeah kind of it's one of those things meet someone on social media go to meet them never come back but then as scary as that is there's the whole other levels of pagan weirdness to it and it seems like i remember you making a distinction about how this is a pagan thing that's a little bit separated from the kind of white nationalist groups that use the pagan imagery or the, the runes and all that stuff. But this mm -hmm. was an actual pagan cult. Yes. Um, as in they were practicing the religion. Yeah. And it's not the person the murders have been blamed on, but the people that the citizens investigation have turned up. And then there's a whole matter of a cover up and not wanting to investigate it because the local law enforcement doesn't want it to have been a cult, even if they successfully identified one and then chose to ignore it. And there's a lot going on there. <laughs> there there's a lot going on there. And, and I think that I wonder how many stories are like this, where it's, it's some small town where literally everyone is involved in a certain thing and you can't break free of it. Um, I mean, there's that one, there's that one um, one of the examples that's a little less like a cult and more just kind of messed up is the there was an island that was under British control that turned into like an inbreeding hub that also turned into a pedophilia hub because all of the men were oh, I forget the name of it, but it was like St. Edward's Island or something like that. Um, I know the gist of what you're familiar with. I would have to enter my quote-unquote mind palace and dig through the filing cabinets to get the name you're fishing for, but I know what you're talking about. Go into, what do they call the realm of Zinch? I forget. Isn't there a name for it? Oh, well, they've all got their own names. I don't recall Zinch's either, but the warp into chaos. <laughs> I enter the warp. Um, the 
the real the the real interesting revelation would be that Paz is actually a psyker. Um, well, a fucking astropath relying on astrotelepathy, pulling down images from the collective conscience. <laughs> it really suck. Actually, that's one of the worst jobs in Warhammer. The ones where you have to basically like sit there as this ship is flying through the literal realm of hell and you're and you're just like having to find a way through it so those those are the navigators oh right those are the navigators the uh, astropaths who have to send each other visions through hell because faster than light communication doesn't exist oh yeah then someone dreams that pass through hell and then you receive it and have to interpret someone else's dream after it's been warped by hell and that's how you facilitate communication at faster than light speeds. And you may get a message from someone that was a thousand years ago and they're like, please save our planet. And then you go through the warp and it's been abandoned for a thousand years. Yeah. It's Ooh. man. 40 K is metal. 40 <laughs> K is metal. And I remember like, um, I love the traces of like, cause it's funny. I was talking with someone like, it's this kind of space fantasy thing that I don't think enough people do in a good way where they kind of break free of some of the constraints. Cause when I think of sci-fi, I think of a little bit more grounded, right? Like, um, did you ever watch or read the expanse? I watched it. I didn't read any of them. Okay. That's, I would say that's a good example of like, very grounded sci-fi where everything has its own well, i mean there's like weird things and that's where the fiction part but there's the science part but i do think that my favorite type is the space fantasy thing like dune or like 40k um where they kind of especially for 40k it's just how crazy can we make it definitely and they have the and they have the the excuse of going well, we have demons and literal magic in the world. What are you going to do? Tell us that we can't have melee only combat right. <laughs> or, or mainly melee combat. I think that's one of the funny things is how like 40,000 years into the future, <laughs> we're still People fixing still bayonets. each other with sharpened sticks. Hell yeah. Yeah, but they're chainsaw swords <laughs> or chain axes if you're that so inclined. Do do non? I think there there that would be a cool. I don't. I feel like this is probably a, actually a thing, but a space marine chapter that uses chain axes that's not cornate. Uh, they there's no reason they couldn't, but you don't really see it. That's what I'm saying. Maybe that'll be a homebrew chapter idea. People that you know, you know those orcs that that got kind of sent into the realm of chaos and then just only fight in Corn's realm now. Tuska Demon Killer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, all the orcs have the same dialect as a barely literate football hooligan from Britain, which was an intentional design back in the day, and they just kept it, which is awesome. <laughs> I remember when I was playing uh, Total War Warhammer with my dad, and he hated it. Originally, he hated it because he's like, "Why are they called boys with a Z?" and in <laughs> <laughs> like all that type of stuff. And I was like, "It's it's." When I read more into it, I was like, oh, they were just a bunch of nerds that were making fun of the, the lads on tour. Um, Basically. And also with that as well, and we should start wrapping up as well, but with that as well, 
I do think it's funny bringing it back to some of the political stuff, how all the kind of lefty types in Warhammer immediately think that uh, Gazgul is a one-on-one thing for Margaret Thatcher. And that's just not the case. It's literally just not the case. That goes into their fetish for trying to call Warhammer punk when it's just not. I don't think there's really any political statement in Warhammer at all. And I think that anyone that tries to... I'm anyone that tries to to ascribe a political particular political leaning to Warhammer is is fooling themselves. I will say there's interesting philosophical questions in Warhammer, but those yeah, are all thoughts. have been raised as the setting has developed, but at its core, it's just a heavy metal rock opera <laughs> setting to play a war game in. Yeah, it's like you know. And you can go, and that's the beauty of it. Is you can go both ways. You can you can go and just enjoy the the insanity of it, but you can also take a look at it and go, you know. I mean, Luton's been doing a series about how if the emperor is not what he seems, and like, what if the emperor was just winging it? And this is a conversation for another time because if we started talking about what the emperor actually was doing when he was alive. Or uh, like functioning. The most recent Siege of Terror books have had interesting implications for that whole discussion, which has been ongoing in Warhammer for thirty-ish years now. And among yeah, and that's the other thing is even in new lore, there's that whole stuff with the cult of the Star Child and the concept that like that he intended to be on the Golden Throne and intended to try to make himself a god. Um whether or not he did or whether it was forced on him or whether it was a trick of the chaos gods or it's and it's it's all fascinating stuff but then you can also have the other thing where you get a bunch of plastic crack and then you go fight battles with with eight foot tall humanoids with chain chain swords and And that and that is really the core of it uh, no matter how you might feel about it, at the end of the day, it's just a setting for a war game and a really cool, well-designed one at that. And it's got, and it's, and it should, and I think above above everything, people should just have fun with it. Hell, you know, honestly, if someone in in like as much as I've talked about this gate, you know, kind of gatekeeping type stuff, which I think gatekeeping is good for any sort of um, for literally anything for anything and everything. Gatekeeping is good, but. At the end of the day, if there's some D&D table that everyone loves being a fat, tiefling, lesbian warlock, you know, if they're having fun, they're having fun. My problem is when... keep it over there. <laughs> and they can keep it over there, and I will keep my mind where I... Um, I was actually... You know, 13th century night. <laughs> well, and I was I was also going to say um, one of the last things is the concept of a session zero, and I think we ended up talking about it. Um, as a DM, I, I don't mind. I mean, it's it's kind of come up in, in vogue recently is kind of a woke scold kind of like make sure everything is up, you know, no one's getting triggered or whatever. But I actually think it's a good way to go, hey, does anyone have anything that I should not put into this setting? If someone was like, yes, I have a severe fear of spiders and I will crawl out of my skin. I'm going to, as a DM, I'll be like, all right, cool. I'm, I also, I also would have serious. Go ahead, pause. I interrupted you. Go ahead, pause. I was just going to say, it's good to have those considerations at your own table. It is not good to bake them into the rule books. Exactly. Yeah. And what were you going to say, David? 
So I was going to say, I would first of all, I'd find it weird if somebody was afraid enough of spiders that you describing them as a dungeon master would scare them. Uh, but two, I mean, I, I think it's useful because everyone, you have everyone make a character, then you can have those discussions with like, how are how does the does the group already know each other? Do you guys need to meet? Like, how, what are some of your backstories and everything? So that way, I can incorporate them into the story and everything. And then, like, here's the general setting, so you guys get familiar with it. Here's what you might know or might be going on. You know, stuff like that. So that way, you can have like the smoothest flowing actual first session. I think that's. Are you guys familiar with the OSR, the old school Renaissance? No, no. This is. Um, a movement in tabletop gaming that's extremely reactionary uh, used to only exist on Twitter and is now a real thing where they want to get back to older editions of RPGs and war games and really understand the thinking of guys like Gygax among others. And one thing they emphasize is never ever doing the sort of session zero pre campaign talk you're discussing. They think that characters should be forced to meet organically and work it out themselves in the first session. And I'm actually very fond of that approach myself because it forces them to say, it forces them to introduce themselves to each other instead of just saying, oh, well, we all already know each other and we're hanging out and then an adventure happens to us. It forces them to engage each other in the process of beginning an adventure. I think for the people that are doing that old school renaissance, it's perfect. And if I was doing it with those type of people, it would be perfect. But when I'm doing it, when I'm when I'm having to help people create characters that have never played D and D before, I mean, there's the concept of like, you know, how in retail there's that thing of the customer is always right. The truth is that the customer is always retarded, and that's kind of the how I how how I as a DM see a lot of the players, especially new ones. They don't know what's good for them, and. If I'm going like if I was going to have a bunch of people that were committed to a setting and committed to a vibe and they all came up to my table and they all kind of knew this stuff, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. But if someone's if, if I'm going to have some kid that comes to my table and he's like, I want to make like a transformer I'm like, well, OK, now I have to start railroading you into a few different things so I can yeah, make sure that, that things function. rules come in, you know. The rules yeah. exist in the rule book for a reason. Play by them. We need more. We need more tables. More tables. More numbers. That is actually true, and that goes back to what I was saying in the very beginning about using random tables and older editions being more math intensive, and actually having rule books that mean something instead of the most recent editions where the rule book says, "Well, work it out together with a story stick." And and with oh, that, as well. and you can have fun with the tables too. I made a table of all the modifications people are going to get if they try to get drunk. I'm not going to have them explain it out. You have actual buffs and debuffs depending Good. on what I roll. Good. And with that as well, I I never let my players be tieflings, or never let them be dark elves, or never let them be anything like that. Because they shit out of here. We'll see, I, I always gatekeep since I've always played fifth edition. I always gatekeep out anything that isn't in the player's handbook or like the yeah, you know what? Just if it's not in the player's handbook, it's not happening. Sorry, guys. Any I've, of these weird, like, oh, you can be like a cat thing or something, or, or like a <laughs> tabaxi. Like, no, yeah, like, no, that's not happening, bro. I'm not dealing with that crap. I don't want to have to account for that in my world. 
<laughs> yeah, I wonder how many tabaxi players are secret furries. Yeah, and see, that makes me uncomfortable, and so that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, try I am to... not embracing your weird fetish for my D&D game. Amen. Amen. I will not. I, I will have... You you will you cannot be gay in my world, but you can buy slaves from the slave market, and I've got a table for it. <laughs> but we are hitting on two hours, and I know uh, some people might have to leave, <laughs> so we should probably start wrapping it up. Even though this has been an absolutely excellent conversation, oh, it's been um, wonderful. Uh, for the record, I would be more than happy to do this again with you gentlemen. I had an excellent time. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I, well, let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. Pause. Where can the people find you? On Twitter at TLE Pause is the very best place to find me. Um, you can also send various messenger birds, attempt to astrally project, etc., etc. Unscramble the number stations. I will be there. Hell yeah. Uh, should we go? But the best place is Twitter. Should we? Should people watch the news as well or listen to the news? Uh, why shouldn't they? Check me out on Timeline Earth. Uh, so Scarlet Thread Society is one of the imprints under their brand. That is my show specifically. Check us out. I'm interested in hearing more about Bitcoin astrology in the future. I need to get it <laughs> again because i would really 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 like to do that actually it's one of my greatest priorities to get that scheduled i think uh, that you after i get my second interview with owen cyclops done that'll probably be my next project is i Bitcoin think technology. i think you should you and bird should do a dnd show and just bring on people and talk about it um, you, should, you should bring us that's what we mean i i remember i've heard great stories um i actually heard a great story i think i was talking to ace at one point where you were dming and you like had killed him about four different times or something like that um which was a great great story yeah well I, I actually would like to do that. I tried doing a Warhammer show for a bit, and it hasn't worked out with my co-host, but I'd like to get back to that, too, an entirely separate project. needs to be more of that content out there. Yeah, there needs to be more of our, our people doing content that's for the nerds and the artists and the, the you know, the bleeding hearts and artists and the kind of, and the the other parts of society that aren't, politics brained because we don't you know there aren't enough of us out there there are too many gay losers that want to make everything into a gay loser verse not enough people that want to preserve the good and the whole the good and the true parts of our our nerd fandoms so true but uh but yeah lorenzo where can the people find you and support what you're doing uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at prog underscore enjoyer7. Um, that's where I do a lot of politics stuff, but I'm going to try to start dialing back, honestly. Um, and then It's just tiring, isn't it? It's just tiring, and I find that I enjoy more when I'm talking about non-politics things. I find I enjoy more talking about like football or music, which my condolences to the Packers uh 
The Niners are the best team in the field. It was bound to happen. It just broke my heart that we put up such a good fight. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm, I, I also, I would like to see the one thing I really want to see now is just see the chiefs lose to someone. Oh, the Niners are going to kick their ass when the Super Bowl rolls around. I'll God, I hope that is the matchup right now. I'd Niners love to see. Chiefs. I'd love to see Niners Ravens because that brings me back to the first Super Bowl I ever watched back in 2012. Or second. <sighs> Fuck Harbaugh and fuck Kaepernick. <laughs> you don't like Jim Harbaugh? No, I got my beefs with him. <laughs> I mean, being the Michigan coach and the Niners coach, screw that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I did see he marched in the March for life. That was a great, that's a nice thing. Well, in that case, consider him redeemed. I didn't know that. Yeah. He, he, uh, marched in the, one of the marches for life. I've always liked him because he's constantly seems like he's on some sort of stimulating drug or is naturally crazy. Um, I hate Kaepernick though. And I hate that. I hate that whole era of the Niners. Um, but yeah, uh, outside, I was gonna say um, I'm done, I'm, or I'm not, I'm I'm close to being done with tweeting about politics and stuff, and I'd like to shift stuff over because I'm sick and tired of it, and I've I'm starting to get too reactionary for my own liking when I see the things that I say and tweet. I'm kind of I don't need to be there's there's already enough people that are saying what I need to say, and I don't need to join the next thing of you know <laughs> racist <laughs> racist Twitter. I don't need to join racist Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Lorenzo underscore Silvio. No politics there, please. That no is no politics. Yeah, that's for my brand. And then <sighs> band stuff, show links, description. David, where can they find you? Um, I mean, you can find me. All of my links are down below for Twitter, Instagram, Substack. Maybe I'll start writing on the Substack soon. I don't know. We'll see about that. I got a counter some anti-market conservatism stuff because i'm a wannabe economist uh but that's pretty much where you can find me i had an article published at the mises institute so if you just look up my name david brady jr on, on mises.org and you can go and find my work find my writing there uh but that's pretty much it for me thank you pause we really appreciate you joining us today thank you i look forward to round two already absolutely i can't wait all right guys have a good one peace Lorenzo, say your thing Oh, hugs and kisses, bitches. We out. <laughs> <laughs>